About 1950 years ago, the Holy Spirit inspired the Apostle Peter to write, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is within you with meekness and fear. You'll find that passage in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. Lots of times when I go to speak and they announce who's speaking, they announce Kyle Butt from Apologetics Press, and most of the time kids under 12 have trouble with the Kyle Butt part, and they look at their parents and they say, can we even say that? When I was growing up, you, you couldn't even say that word in our house unless you were talking about our last name. And so after they get over my last name, then they start thinking about that word Apostolic Express. Well, no, it's not Apostolic Express, but that's what some people, when they ask where I work and I tell them, they say, Apostolic Express, what are you talking about? I say, no, not Apostolic Express, Apologetics Press. Well, a little while back, I had a lady come up to me. She was about 65 or so, and she had this grin on her face, and she pulled me aside. She said, I've got to ask you a personal question. I didn't know what was coming, how, how much I weigh, how old I am. I, I was ready for anything, you know. She said, what are you guys apologizing for? You know, when you think of apologetics press, you don't think of that word apology or apologizing. And most of the time now in 21st century United States of America, apology means you say you're sorry for something that you didn't mean to do. Uh, you're looking at something at the grocery store on the aisle and you don't pay attention to who's in front of you. You hit their heel with your grocery cart there and you apologize and you say you're sorry. You know, that doesn't have anything whatsoever to do with the term apologetics. Let me tell you what I mean by that. There in 1 Peter 3.15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you. That word defense right there in Greek is spelled A-P-O-L-O-G-I-A, -O -O -A, apologia, or apologia, and it means a written or oral defense of something you believe. Meaning, you be ready to reasonably explain why you're a Christian. Now, that is different in every generation. And here's what I mean by that. Early on, when the Christian faith was spreading through the Roman Empire, you had questions that would come up about Christianity that the Roman governments didn't understand, and from what they were hearing, they didn't like. In fact, it was a rule that if you were going to live in a Roman province or in Rome or anywhere around, you had to be willing to offer incense to the Roman deity because they believed that if you could keep everybody united in religion, then you could keep them from rebelling against the state. And so as long as you would offer a token pinch of incense to the Roman gods. You didn't even have to believe in them. You didn't even have to follow any of their rules, really. You just had to say, yeah, I'm on board with the state. Well, the Roman government quickly heard that the Christians wouldn't do that. And then they started to hear rumors about what was going on in Christian assemblies. In fact, they heard that Christians were cannibals because every first day of the week they got together on Sunday morning in covert secret meetings and they drank somebody's blood, and they ate somebody's flesh. And the Roman government, as bad as they were, were certainly opposed to cannibalism, and so they started persecuting the Christians because they thought they were cannibals. And they thought that they were incestuous. 
because Brother Johnson was married to Sister Johnson. And even as bad as the Roman government and the Roman populace was, they didn't think you were supposed to marry your biological brothers and sisters, at least not on a regular basis. Some of them violated that, even some of the emperors. But still, that wasn't acceptable to the Roman government. And so they started persecuting Christians, and the early apologist would stand up and say, hold on just a second. You want Christianity in your province, and here's why. Number one, they're not cannibals. That's a memorial service where they actually eat unleavened bread and grape juice. It has nothing whatsoever to do with real flesh and blood. It's remembering a sacrifice of their originator, Jesus. And by the way, they are not incestuous. Brother Johnson and Sister Johnson are not biological brothers and sisters. They believe that they are a family in Christ and that they are brothers and sisters and heirs of the kingdom of God, and so they're not physically incestuous. And here's why else you need it. Because they will pay their taxes. And the Roman government was big on paying their taxes. And they will not steal. They will not get into fights. They will not rebel. They will obey the government. As long as you don't ask them to do something immoral or something idolatrous, they will be as good of a citizen for you as you can possibly imagine. And they would defend Christianity. Now, we don't have to do that. Nobody has called and said, Kyle, man, you got, we got to get you up here, emergency meeting. You got to explain to the city officials that we don't eat people. You got to, nobody calls me for that. In fact, you can think of any number of things that 21st century United States American Christians don't have to deal with in our area. Here's what I mean by that. Do you know that uh, in the 16 years that I've been working for Apologetics Press, 16 years now, got out of Freed Hardeman, started working there January of 2000, nobody has ever called me and said, Kyle, we're having a serious problem with idolatry in our congregation. We've got a bunch of families that have gone down to Fred's and purchased these little golden statues. They put them up in their living rooms and now they're worshiping these little golden statues and you've got to come and talk to us about idolatry. Never had a single person call me to speak to them on bowing down to physical idols. Do you know if I was in India? I'd be standing up for the truth of the one true God and we'd be having lessons on idolatry just about every single week because there are a million different gods in India. There's a god of rats, there's a god of bugs, there's a god of spiders and everything else in between. And we'd be having to deal with idolatry. We don't here in the United States of America. We don't have to deal with idolatry. We don't have to explain that we're not cannibals. We don't have to explain that we're not incestuous. But there are lots of things that our church, the Lord's church, of which we are members, is facing on a very large and serious scale. One of those is the topic you've assigned me tonight, and that's skepticism. Let me put it in perspective for you. I'm 38 years old. When I was 18, looking at about 20 years ago, about 21, 22, when I was 17, 16, I ran in circles there in Columbia, Tennessee, about an hour and a half toward Nashville, of about a hundred young people who were members of the church. My dad, Stan Butt, was a preacher out at the Water Valley Church of Christ. It was a congregation of about 70. But my mom, at the time, was a secretary at the Graymere Church of Christ there in town in Columbia. 
It was a congregation of, oh, I'm going to say at the time, maybe six to 700. West 7th was just a few miles away, downtown Columbia. We knew lots of the young people that went there. And then we had East Side and several of the other Highland and other congregations there. About 100 of them. If you had taken the 100 of us 21 years ago when I was 17, and you would have said, you guys are members of the Lord's Church, how many of you know someone who is an atheist? I honestly, with all joking aside, believe you would have had to have defined the word for me. It was not on my radar whatsoever. If there was one kid out of a hundred in Middle Tennessee 20 years ago who knew someone who was an atheist, I would have been extremely surprised. I didn't meet somebody who claimed not to believe in God until I got probably out of Freed Hardman University at about the age of 21, 22, 23 or so. Now, I decided I was teaching at Maywood Christian Camp and have gone for several years, probably uh, looking at 10 or 12 now, and I was assigned to teach the 15 through 18-year-olds, and I thought I'd just start seeing how many of them know people who are atheists. The first class that I asked had 42 kids in the class. 32 of them said, we know someone who is an atheist. Next class, we had about 50, as I recall. About 40 of them said, we know someone who's an atheist. Next class had about 42. I'm talking consecutive years. Next class had about 42. About 30 of them said, we know someone who's an atheist. I guess it was last summer, I was in Huntsville at the Madison Church of Christ, a congregation of about 700. Had about 86 kids on a Wednesday night, as I recall. I asked them the question. I counted them. Made sure I knew approximately how many kids there were. I said, how many of you know someone who is an atheist who does not believe in God. So many hands went up. I said, okay, this is not going to work. Uh, let, let's try this again. How many of you don't know someone who is an atheist? Four hands, as I recall, out of the 86 went up. 82 out of 86 kids knew someone who was an atheist. Now, do you understand what I'm telling you? In 20 years, in the buckle of the Bible belt, things have dramatically and drastically changed about what we're having to defend against in the Lord's church. I'm here to tell you probably even in the last 10 years. Let me put it in a little more perspective for you. That means, now listen close to this, that in the history of our country as a nation from 1776 until now, no generation has had to deal with unbelief on the scale of the generation that is now 18 to 25 years old. They are dealing with unbelief more than any group of people ever has in the last 200 years in approximately 40 years of our nation's history. You think that's something we need to talk about? It absolutely certainly is. In fact, I was invited over to a house, I'm going to say just about two weeks ago. The mother, as I understand it, has stage four cancer. 
the father is a very successful businessman and the young man who I was there to talk with is about 26 year old young man living in Nashville grew up in the Lord's Church his grandfather preacher down the road had contacted me and he said you need to come and talk to my grandson we'll call him Kevin he said you need to come talk to Kevin he said he doesn't believe in God anymore and I went over and I sat across from this young man who had completely abandoned his faith in God. And I wish I could tell you that that was an isolated incident. It's not. I've done that on numerous, numerous occasions. And so we need to be ready and willing to confront skepticism. Now let me help you understand what you can't do. You cannot think that it's not going to hit your kids. You understand what I'm telling you? It doesn't matter if you've got grandkids. It doesn't matter if you've got nephews and nieces. It doesn't matter if you've got children. You can't think that your kids are somehow going to come up with the answers to these challenges without you helping them find the answers. And you can't think that maybe it'll skip your kids or your grandkids or your grandnieces or nieces and nephews. It's not going to. What I mean by that is, if you were to look in the last 20 years or so, about 10 years ago, did a survey, asked people, do you believe that there is a God and or are you associated with some type of religion? 91% said, yes, we believe that there's a God. Okay, that leaves about 9% that said, we don't believe that there's a God or we're not associated with any religion. 10 years later, they asked the same demographic of people, asked them the very same questions, and the response was that now approximately 85% of the people said we believe that there's a God and 15% said we do not believe that there's a God or we're not associated with some type of religion. Now you look at that and you think, okay, great, that's still 85 out of 100. Here's the problem. That six percentage point jump from 91 to 85 of unbelief is the fastest growing religion in the nation. Unbelief is the fastest growing religion in the nation. Now let me stop you right there and say this. We need to say this unequivocally and we need to say it very boldly but very kindly. Unbelief, now listen to me close, parents, because some of you are going to deal with it. You need to know Unbelief is a sin. That's what it is. It's nothing more than a sin. It's nothing less than a sin. And your kids who might eventually come to you and say, I think I've just lost my faith in God, are not innocent searchers for the truth who have somehow run into evidence against God and the Bible and Jesus. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. Jesus Christ said, unless you believe that I am Him or I am He, you will die in your sins. Let me tell you what I've run into. What I've run into in the church is that it seems like we have so encouraged our children to think so highly of themselves that it's almost as if if they decide 
that what the God of the Bible does doesn't match with what they feel like should have happened, then somehow they can sit in judgment on the God of the Bible and say that that God is unjust or that God doesn't know what He's doing or that God wouldn't do this if He was really loving or that God... What you need to understand is that if a person decides not to believe in God... Did you listen to our reading? For since the beginning of creation, God's invisible attributes are clearly seen being understood by the things which are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. You know what I have seen some parents do is when their child comes home and he's been off at a state university and the professors there who listen to me close, 80% of them are avowed atheists at state-sponsored universities. You understand what I'm saying? Eight out of every ten professors at a state university is an avowed atheist. Hard nose. What I mean by that is someone who says, I do not believe in God. I'm not talking about an agnostic who says, I don't know if there is one or not. I'm talking about a person who says, there's not one, I know it, and you should too. Now, when your young person comes home and says, you know, I just don't think I believe in God anymore. The response to that is not, oh, you're honestly searching for the truth and you have followed the evidence where it's led and you arrived at the conclusion that there's not a God. That's not whatever happens. Unbelief is never an honest search for the truth. It's, there's something in a person's life that they want more than the truth. And what we need to be willing to say to those people who come to us and say, hey, I don't believe in God anymore, we need to be willing to say, we've got answers to that. But you need to understand that whether or not you believe in God doesn't change the reality of the situation. If you don't believe in God, it's not God's fault, the evidence is there, and there's not an excuse for why you don't believe it. Maybe it's you want to sleep with your girlfriend and you don't like the fact that you feel guilty because there's a God. Maybe it's that you think professors at your university are so intelligent and you want to be recognized as intelligent and you don't care to be recognized with the people of God. Maybe it's you feel like you are so smart and you've outthought. I don't know what it is. But it's never I've looked at the evidence and honestly assessed it and arrived at the truth that there is no God. So, just for you parents to understand the situation, I feel like lots of times that when young people come home and they're talking to their mom and dad and they say, hey, I don't believe in God anymore, the mom and dad get frantic and they say, well, we got to get him in front of somebody who can give him the right evidence. We've got to get him in front of a person that can explain this and can explain that and can show the scientific evidence for this and that. Now, I'm all about giving the right answer. What 1 Peter 3, 15 says, always be ready to give defense for everything you believe. But unbelief, listen to me close, is a heart issue. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And the way to confront it is to say, the evidence is true, there is a God. If you don't accept it, I'm very sorry, but it's not going to change the fact that it's true. And I'll be happy to deal with any challenge you've got, but you need to know from the outset 
that this is a heart issue. Now, we like to think, and I say this because I'm right there with you. We like to think, I mean, we live in Tennessee. I mean, I'm North Alabama. You do, I'm not Bible Belt. I am like the buckle part of that goes into, I'm, I'm right in the center. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I live in Florence, Alabama. Florence, Alabama has 98 congregations of the Lord's Church in two counties. A man by the name of T.B. Laramore started Mars Hill Bible School in Florence, Alabama. And there are more Christians per capita in Florence, Alabama than anywhere in the nation. Now, there are it's the second number of most Christians in the country anywhere. There are some places down in Texas that are more populated with Christians. Number one per capita in Florence, second most of anywhere. You think, oh, a place like that, surely unbelief and skepticism is not creeping in. I can't tell you how many kids I have sat in front of who went to a Christian school who have come home and told their parents, I don't believe in God anymore. Using stuff like, if God was all loving, He wouldn't have killed people in the Old Testament like He told Joshua to do when they went into Jericho. If God was all loving, He wouldn't send people to hell for eternity. If God was all loving, there's no way He would have flooded the earth. Well, the scientific evidence that I heard from my biology professor shows that evolution is true. Using stuff like that. You know we've had answers to those questions for decades. We've got them on our website at Apologetics Press. We've had them. Some of those questions have been answered in the second century by the second and third century apologists who were dealing with some of those similar questions some 1,800 years ago. It's not as if skepticism is a new thing that somehow is now rearing its head. It is, however, something that the church is realizing that we've got to be willing to deal with. Now I want to stop right here and ask you a question. How are you preparing the young people you know to deal with skepticism? What are you doing about it? You know, I'm afraid. And hey, if you had asked my congregation when I was growing up that very question, they would have looked at each other like, what, well, I don't know what you're talking about. We're not, we're not doing anything. But what are you doing? Are you helping young people find answers to the questions that skeptics are bringing up? You know, there are about 25 million atheists now when the group 18 through 25-year-olds were asked, why did you become an atheist? 80% of them said, because of a video I saw on YouTube. Now, when I say we don't like to realize or think that it's infiltrating our area, right outside of Florence, Alabama, there's killing. It's about five miles outside of Florence. The Freedom From Religion Foundation man who is the co-president of the Freedom From Religion Foundation is named Dan Barker. I debated Dan Barker in 2009 on the campus of the University of South Carolina. Freedom From Religion Foundation came to Killen at the Brooks High School and they sued Brooks High School for saying a prayer before their football game. They said that public announcement system 
was purchased with governmental funds. The separation of church and state as laid out in the First Amendment says that you're not supposed to support any religion by praying over that public announcement system. You are violating the separation of church and state and we're suing your school for that. Now folks, Brooks has been having a prayer on Friday nights for decades. As long as their program has been around just about. You'd like to think that the Christian population in the Florence, Alabama area would not put up with that. But the Freedom from Religion Foundation won. And now the Brooks High School doesn't have a prayer before their game. I was talking to a group right down from Nashville, Williamson County School System. One of the grandmothers came to me and she said, let me tell you what happened to my third grade grandson. She said, my third grade grandson, they have a drop everything and read period in school where you get to bring anything you want to from your home. She said, my grandson brought a Bible. It's about a 30-minute period you can read. He was reading his Bible in the Williamson County Public School System and the teacher said to him, you can't read that Bible here. You can bring any other book you want, but not that one. In Williamson County, Nashville, Tennessee. I was in Maryland, and there was a junior in high school. He said, uh, he said yeah, you can't read the Bible in my school. And I said, what do you mean, like publicly over the PA? Or, he said, no, no, you can't read it at all. He said, I was in my uh, study hall period. I was sitting in my counselor's office. The vice principal came by and looked at the Bible I was reading on my lap. She said, put that up. I don't want to see it anymore. The eighth grade brother who was sitting across from me said, oh yeah, you go into the library at our school? If you type in Christ or Christianity, all of the sites are blocked. You can't even access them like pornographic sites. You can't even get to them. You can access stuff. I think I asked him, what about Islam? What about a, He said, yeah, any, anything like that, just not Christianity. So let me ask you a question. What do you do? You know, for years, I feel like Christians, we have kind of sat passively back and just kind of let this wave of skepticism roll over us and now we're thinking, okay, what, what are we going to do about it? It's not what is the person next to you going to do about it. It's not what is your public system, school system going to do about it. It's not what is your preacher going to do about it. Here's the question. What are you going to do about it? Now, we've got the answers. And what I mean by that is, Apologetics Press, we've been around for 35 years now. This stuff is not new. The stuff about how do you know for a fact the Bible's the inspired Word of God. We've got that. We've got a whole book on it called Behold the Word of God. You can download it for free off of our website. We've got an app back there. You can get off of what your app store for free, have literally thousands of pages of answers to this. How are you incorporating that into what you learn and what you teach? had a mother who read our book. This was the book that we put out. Here's what Eric Lyons and I did. We went through the textbooks and found where they were teaching evolution and where they were saying there was no need for God. And so we went through as many textbooks as we could from about a fifth through eighth grade level. We found where they were teaching evolution and we refuted that and put it in a textbook form. We call it Truth Be Told. Had a first grade mother call us and she said, hey, I want to get this into the hands of my son's first grade classmates. Now this book, if you go online, it sells for $15.95. Unless you talk to me and say, hey, I don't have $15.95, I say, you got 10 bucks. No, no, okay, what about three? 
I don't okay, here, you can have this. We'll find somebody else to pay for it. We are a nonprofit organization. You know what that means, I always say. We're professional money losers. I mean, we do it every single year. We lose money every year. Here's why. Lady comes to us. She says, I want uh, 30 of those. I think we gave them to her for three bucks a piece. She gives them to her first grade son's classmate. She went to the principal, said, how can I give these out? He said, give them out as a Christmas present. That's what she did, gave them out as Christmas present. The next year, her son was in second grade, and he was being fed from the teacher evolution straight up. One of the students there who got the book last year, now this is a fifth through seventh grade reading level. We told her that. We said, hey, we're not sure that your first graders will be able to read it. We said, it's fifth through seventh. She said, yeah, but it's got everything in it I want. I want them to have it. So she gives it to them. The next year, one of the second graders who's in class with her son, not affiliated with the church at all, if I understand it correctly, the teacher is teaching evolution. The young man says, that's not right. The teacher said, what do you mean it's not right? It's science. It's true. Evolution is a fact. He said, that's not true. I've got a book at home that says that God created everything. She said, well, that book's wrong. Little kid looked at the teacher and said, well, it makes a lot better sense than what you're telling me. You know, the fact of the matter is it does. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that Satan would try to eliminate the teaching of creation from any curriculum that he can? If evolution is so strong and it's so powerfully backed by evidence, then why do you have to have creation out of the way before anybody buys evolution? It's very simple. If you look at things with an open mind and critically assess them and study them carefully, and you put creation right next to evolution, creation wins in an honest, reasonable person's mind every time. That's why you can't have them together if you want anybody to accept evolution unless that person is being dishonest with the evidence. That's just how it goes. Now my question to you is, what are you doing about the spread of skepticism or staunching the spread of skepticism? You know, I, I've seen people say, well, you know, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a teacher. I'm a public school teacher, and they tell us we got to teach evolution. We just got to. I mean, if, if we don't teach it, the kids won't know it for the test, and we got to. Now, if any kid asks me what I believe, I tell them, but I, I just can't publicly say anything about God creating. Let me ask how that would go over if next week our public school system decides that they're going to vote on Jesus being the Son of God or not, and then they decide that Jesus is not God's Son, and they put that in the textbook and say, you've got to teach it to keep your job. Are you going to teach that? And then are you going to say, well, I mean, I've got to teach that, but I don't really believe it, and if any of the kids ask me, but I'm going to have to teach that Jesus isn't God's Son. Can you imagine a faithful Christian in the first century saying, if I'm going to, if I'm going to keep my job, I've got to do this stuff. You know, what about now when the establishment has said homosexual marriage is acceptable, and if you don't teach that to your kids, then you're going to get fired. What are you going to do now? Somehow backtrack and say, well, I mean, this, they, they told us we got to teach it. we got to prepare them for their test, and we just got to teach that homosexual marriage is all right. If they ask me, I'm going to tell them I don't believe that, but you see what the problem with that is? One reason that skepticism is on the rise and Christianity as a whole is on the decline, is because skeptics 
have been more bold about teaching their error than Christians have about teaching the truth. Lots of the skeptics have said, I'm going to teach that we evolved from monkeys and there is no God, and if you fire me, I'm going to sue you and dare you to do something to me. And lots of the Christians have sat in the corner and wrung their hands and said, I just don't know what I can do. I've got to have the insurance. Now, I am not... Well, yeah, what I'm saying is I feel like Christians, we've got to be bolder in our presentation of the truth, and we've got to say this is the truth whether it's about homosexuality, whether it's about Jesus Christ, whether it's about creation, we've got to be willing to lose our lives for our gods. And it might mean we lose our job. Now, I'll tell you what I have seen. Lots of times when a Christian stands up for teaching the truth, had a kid who had gotten a, our book Dinosaurs Unleashed. He was in first grade, read our Dinosaurs Unleashed, had gone to one of our seminars. His teacher asked him to read, the guy's name was Jeremy when he was in first grade, teacher asked him to read the section on dinosaurs and read about how they were millions and millions of years old and they were separated from humans. And he said, he said, that's not true. And the teacher looked at him and said, you know, I think you're right. I think it's just like the Bible said that God created humans on day six along with dinosaurs. That's what she was implying. And said, the rest of the class joined in and said, yeah, that's, that's what we believe. I got a good friend last year. And he said, you know what, I'm the principal of elementary school. And we get to invite authors in on Author's Day. You've written some books, haven't you? I said, yeah. He said, would you come and tell about some of the books that you've written? In fact, you could come and tell about uh, Truth Be Told. Just tell us what's in Truth Be Told. Got 348, what, third, fourth, and fifth graders why don't you come for about 45 minutes and tell them what's in truth be told? I said, be glad to. Showed up at his public school system for 45 minutes. I explained to those kids that God created them special and that they have value not because they can run fast, not because they're smarter than anybody else, not because they're skinnier or not because they're better at basketball, but they're valuable because God made them and they're not a cosmic accident that got here over multiplied millions of years. Isn't that a wonderful idea? And afterward, we had done the research on the legality of passing these books out. You know, you can pass out any third-party religious literature in any public school in the nation. Here's what you got to do. you got to sit it on the table. Don't hand it to the kid personally. you got to sit it on the table and say you can go pick it up if you want. Now, what do you think 348 third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders did when we put... 348 truth be told full color hardback books on a table and said you can go get one if you want. Several of them came up and said, hey, my brother wasn't here today. Can I take one home to him? Hey, my cousin would want to hear this. Can I take? Sure you can. And we passed out 348 of them. Just had a congregation. Oh, I'm going to say uh, in Huntsville, very close around. We had a missionary come to us and he said, I'm in the public school system in South Africa. We showed him all our stuff. We said, hey, any of this stuff that you can use, he said, yeah, I could use 7,500 of those, truth be told. I could put them in a public school system tomorrow if you had them for me. We said, all right, we'll see what we can do. The raw printing cost for us is about, oh, depends on how many you print at a time. You're looking at about 250. That was going to be about $21,000. One of my buddies called me, said, hey, does AP need anything? I said, yeah, we need to send 7,000 of these truth be told books to Africa. He said, I'll send you some. Sent me 3,000 bucks. Another congregation of about... 
Oh, you're looking at 40 members? I was talking to them. They said, we'll send you 2500 Had 5500 bucks. Another congregation went to them. They said, hey, do you guys at AP need anything? I said, we don't really need it. But these kids in Africa need these Truth Be Told books. The guy said he could get it in the public school system. One of the elders called me the next Monday and said, hey, we'll give you 14500 bucks to send those books to Africa. Now, I'm not saying that to say, you need to give me 14500 bucks to send books, books to Africa. I don't have 7500 that I need to send right now to any place. What I am saying is, what are you doing? What are you doing to teach people the basic core ideas that there is a God, that the Bible is God's word, and Jesus Christ is his son? Because, you know, they're going to run into opposing ideas. And if you get it to them first, it makes a world of difference. I don't think Kent would mind me telling you this. There's a guy by the name of Kent Akins. He's up in Missouri, I believe it is. Kent Akins has a street fair up there at all the middle of the summer and the end of the summer. Kent said, hey, I need a bunch of your books. How many can you ship up? We shipped up 400 to him. It cost about $2.50 I mean, a piece. He said in six hours, all 400 of those were gone. And he said he was getting with the local congregation and they were about to pass out another 800 here in a month or so. We've got something in Florence, Alabama called First Friday where it's street fair, you sell stuff that you make, pottery, etc. One of the guys in the area said, hey, Kyle, could we pass out AP stuff? I said, sure. I said, how many books you need? He passes out about a thousand bucks a month of books at the street fair at First Friday in Florence. Now listen to me, I'm not saying you've got to pass out a, a, a track one of Apologetic Express material. Now, do I think it's some of the very best stuff on these topics in the Brotherhood? Absolutely positive. That's why I work there. I love it. Been there for 16 years. Hope I stay there for the next 36 and am thrilled to be a part of the work. But am I saying, hey, you need to get these books and give them out? I'm not saying you need to get these books and give them out. Might be a good thing for you to do. But what I am saying is you need to be aware that skepticism is threatening the church and you need to be doing something about it. And so what do you do? Let me tell you the ultimate goal of what we're doing. We're not just passing out books to pass out books. We're not just passing out tracks to pass out tracks. And like I said, when I say we're nonprofit, what I mean by that is just about everything we've got is totally free on our website. You can download our books. You can download our tracks. You can hear everything we've got audio-wise. You can hear everything we've got video, you can watch it for free. It's all out there. Let me tell you the ultimate goal. We had a couple email us a little while back. They said, hey, we've been reading your site. Most of the time people come to our site for Christian evidence material, like uh, how do you know God created the world? What about uh, DNA? What about dinosaurs? What about uh, mutation? Stuff like that. But when they come, they start seeing other things. This couple wrote us an email, and she said, in the email she said, we have never been taught, ever, that baptism is necessary for salvation. The first time we ever heard it was on your website. We read your stuff about needing to be baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of sins to be added to the church, 
we realized that that's what the Bible teaches. So we went to what they called their faith-only congregation, and we asked them to baptize us, they said. And she said at this particular faith-only denomination, said those people had said, we never heard anything about baptism for the forgiveness of sin. We won't baptize you. We don't think that's right. We've never even heard that taught. She said, we asked several other religious people in our area. They had never taught baptism was necessary for salvation. So our question is, can we baptize ourselves? You know what excites me about that? What excites me about that is we're seeing someone with an honest heart come to the truth and want to change their lives. You know, because if you convince somebody that there's a God, great, you do well, even the demons believe. And they tremble. We don't just want to convince somebody that there's a God. We don't just want to convince somebody that the Bible is God's Word. We don't just want to convince somebody that Jesus is God's Son. We want them to take action. You know, when I was a teenager, religious discussions went something like this. Over in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, the Bible says, repent and be baptized, every one of you. And then the person you'd be talking to would say, yeah, but what about over Romans 10, 9, and 10? It says, with the heart, someone believes to salvation, with the mouth, he confesses. And then you would take them to Romans 6, and you would explain, yeah, but that was written to people who were already Christian. And there in Romans 6, it says, don't you know, as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. That's how the discussion went. Today, the discussion is different. You open the Bible, you say Acts chapter 2, verse 38 says, and they say, hold on just a second, who wrote that? And you say, well, it's inspired by God. And they said, how do, how do you know? And then you start from scratch and you get them to the existence of God and you get them to the inspiration of the Bible and you get them to Jesus Christ being the Son of God and then what? Well, then you explain to them that Jesus Christ died for their sins and that they happen to be the recipient of one of the greatest possible plans that has ever been enacted for the salvation of man. In fact, the only one that has any viability. That there was a man who was God in the flesh who 2,000 years ago hung on a cross for them so they wouldn't have to perish eternally. And that's the God who loves them. That's the God who created them. And that's the God who is seeking after their soul. And when that message dawns on a person that you're talking to and they realize they're not a cosmic accident but that their creator has been searching for them their whole life. Boy, it's thrilling. It's thrilling to watch. It's thrilling to be a part of. And it's encouraging. It drives you. Do you need to be reminded of that message? That your God, your creator has been searching you out? God is seeking such to worship Him. You have a God that runs to you with the evidence in one hand and the cross of Jesus in the other saying, I love you enough to give you everything you need. But you have to open your heart to the truth. Have you opened your heart 
to the truth. Do you need to become a New Testament Christian tonight if you are a New Testament Christian but you've wandered from the truth? Is it time you turn back and come back to your Creator God? If you need to respond to the Lord's invitation, I hope you will as we stand and as we sing.